today on CityCast Salt Lake. Welcome to your weekend. A lot of news in Salt Lake this week, so former KUER politics reporter Emily Means is here to help me make sense of it. It's Friday, July 8th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Emily, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. How's it going? Uh, it's going great, Allie. How are you? I'm okay. I've got a my afternoon Diet Coke here. We're recording. It's Thursday afternoon, so... Feeling good. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I've been on vacation this week, so mm. I feel refreshed and relaxed, and my skin is soft because yeah. I have a facial. And yeah, you look so, dewy. Thank you. I'm glowing. <laughs> um, I'll be honest, I wasn't really plugged into the news, so I had to re-plug in uh, mm-hmm. so that we could have this conversation this afternoon. Well, I'm glad you did because there is quite a bit to cover this week. And normally when we do these news roundups, it's like, oh, here are the things you might have missed. But I feel like this week it's like, these are actually the top stories. <laughs> so let's get into it. And I just want to say up front, we are going to end with some good news, no matter what. We're going to get That's there. That's really nice. Yeah. Give some people hope as they head into the weekend. That's right. Okay. Let's start in Cottonwood Heights. This week we got news that the family of Zane James reached a settlement with the insurance company that represents the city of Cottonwood Heights for $4 million, which sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot. But this is a case about the death of their son, who was killed by a Cottonwood Heights police officer. And I think with that context, it suddenly doesn't sound like a lot at all. Mm -hmm. Um, A little bit of background for anyone who hasn't been following the case. So in 2018, Zane James, who at the time was 19, was thought by a Cottonwood Heights Heights police officer to have robbed a local convenience store that never went to trial. That case was never closed because he never had the chance to go to trial. A Cottonwood Heights police officer hit Zane James with his car and then shot and killed him. And... The officer claims that he believed Zane had a gun. It was later discovered that it was a toy gun. And in the years following, I think the I mean, the biggest thing to say about this case is the James family, Tiffany and Aaron and Zane's brother, Gabe, have been absolutely relentless in their pursuit of justice for Zane. District Attorney Sim Gill recently ruled, this was just a couple weeks ago, that the officer was not justified in hitting Zane with his car, although that officer will not be prosecuted because there is not enough available evidence, claims the district attorney. So there was a lawsuit filed by the James family against the city, and they have settled with the city's insurance company, who released a statement that basically said, this is not an admission of wrongdoing on the part of the police department. This is a, quote, smart business decision, Um, which is... Sounds kind of callous when we're uh, talking about a life that Mm -hmm. has been taken. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that first of all, I was really struck by Tiffany James and just the thought that this will hopefully provide all of the parties involved some sort of closure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was heartened by her comment 
she thought that this could possibly lead to some type of police reform. And Mm -hmm. if you have been following the state legislature and their approach to police reform over the past two years, you know, uh, spurred on by the 2020 protests after the murder of George Floyd and Salt Lake City police killing of Bernardo Palacios Carbajal, what we mostly saw was data collection bills. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. a lot of like tangible, you know, this is what we're doing to prevent police violence. Mm -hmm. But we actually saw the legislature pass, I believe, unanimously, a bill that requires officers to intervene and report bad behavior by other officers. Mm -hmm. That was really remarkable. Um, Mm -hmm. There was also a law that limits the use of no-knock warrants. And I think it's important to point out that police reform will not happen in this state unless it has buy-in from law enforcement, Mm -hmm. unless the Sheriff's Association, one of the large lobbying arms of law enforcement here in the state, unless they say, okay, we can move forward with this bill as long as it has this, this, and this. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that was the interesting thing about hearing Tiffany James speak is she has no reason from my personal view to believe that there is going to be a deeper and more meaningful reform. Her Mm -hmm. husband, Aaron James, is currently on probation because he was arrested and tried for being at a protest. The the charge was walking in the street in a non-pedestrian part of the street protesting the murder of his son and police violence in general, being in the public eye and the opportunity to call for change. Mm -hmm. And I think they're not going anywhere in this fight. Like, I think we are going to see them very publicly taking on different bills and different initiatives. But she herself testified at the Capitol in the last legislative session, absolutely begging them not to overturn Garrity laws. Garrity statements are the statements that public employees give when there is an internal or local investigation in a public institution. And those are public record. The group of organizations that also sided with Tiffany James was every media outlet in Mm -hmm. the Valley. (laughs) Right, because we understand the importance of having access to these government documents that the government doesn't want you to see, because as was shown and demonstrated by what was revealed in that Garrity interview, what Cottonwood Heights was saying did not quite match up. Right. Right. So um, I did think it was really telling that in Tiffany James's statement, she said, what someone asked her, do you trust your local police? And Mm. she said, absolutely. 100% not like you do not trust the police. So that's right. Yeah. We also got a statement from the mayor of Cottonwood Heights who said he's disappointed in this settlement because they were confident that the case would be dismissed. That is extremely discouraging. This is a continuing story. Yeah. And just a plug for local media, definitely check out Peyton Harkins' Harkins (laughs) reporting from the Salt Lake Tribune. She's been following this very closely um, for multiple years now. Yeah. Okay. Let's turn to the lake. (laughs) Ah, the lake. Our namesake. Our namesake, the Great Salt Lake. The Great Salt Lake reached another historic low this year, dropped by 0.1 
of a foot, right? One yes. tenth and this of a is, foot. This is after it reached a historic low, a new historic low last summer. Mm-hmm. So we're just headed down that same path. Right. And normally the expectation had been that the lake would drop this fall. So what we're hearing from scientists as well is this is not our last historic low of the year. We could get another historic low in a month or two. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. More to celebrate. More to celebrate. (laughs) So, I mean, I think what's interesting about the conversation about the lake right now is the panic. That feels almost like its own story, the panic around the lake. Are you I don't panicked? know about you, Emily. I oh, I'm I'm ten. But beyond, I've been at we're a 10. beyond panicked. <laughs> I've been at a ten so much of, of at a ten that like when my friends who I love sent me the New York Times story and were like, "Have you heard about the lake?" I was like, "Sorry, I threw my phone. I couldn't hear you." <laughs> Because this is, I mean, this has been a story for a while now. And I think the important thing to know is that there are incredible journalists in this valley, tons of them, that are reporting on the situation at the lake every single day. We at CityCast Salt Lake are a member of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, which is, it is a commitment among every news outlet to report on the lake and to share that reporting and to be extremely collaborative and non-competitive in how we do it. If you go to greatsaltlakenews.org, you can actually scroll through a running list of stories related to the lake, related specifically to solutions Mm -hmm. to the low level of the lake and how we're getting more water into the lake. I don't know. My eco-anxiety is pretty high, Emily. And I think being able to just like see that resource and like see the energy that's being put towards solutions reporting is comforting. It is comforting and it's refreshing because we're so mired in the doom and gloom, which is real. Mm -hmm. I mean, like these toxic apocalyptic dust storms, we're already experiencing them. Right. And so I think for, you know, our trusted local news organizations to be focusing their efforts on solutions, that's really nice. Um, I just wanted to uh, (laughs) mention again the national reporting on this. This is something that has really gotten Governor Spencer Cox's goat. Like he's he does not appreciate the New York Times is reporting on this or Mm -mm. John Oliver's. And let's just be clear. John Oliver is a comedian. He is not a journalist. It's his job to to poke the bear. Mm -hmm. Um, And he did that recently. And Spencer Cox posted a whole ass thread about it on Twitter. I think you mentioned a couple of uh, weeks ago a different petty tweet from Spencer Cox. Yes, his tone has really shifted, and it feels like his skin is getting a little bit thinner when he's on the other end of criticism. And this this Twitter thread, it had some helpful information. Basically, he was saying, oh, these national organizations, they didn't even mention what we're doing to try to help the lake, try to help uh, respond to our drought. So he listed, you know, the legislature has committed this much money to the lake. They passed this many bills on water conservation. Right. These are good steps. Right. But I think it's one thing to be defensive and feel like your efforts are not being recognized. It's another thing to not be able to take the criticism that mm-hmm. state leaders are so far behind on this. Mm-hmm. And that's what's contributing to your climate anxiety, my climate anxiety. 
this is not just, you know, we're we're preparing for the future. This is now. Right. Like we are breathing in the toxic dust now. Do you remember that dust storm? It was two weeks ago or so blowing in from the lake. And it's really disheartening to hear from state leaders, um, you know, like House Speaker Brad Wilson. I asked him about the lake during the legislative session. And the sentiment was, we're lucky we caught this in time. Yeah. In time? Mm-mm. In time for what? That's not the message. (laughs) The Mm -mm. ship has sailed down the shallow lake and we're never getting it back at this point. So um, I think, you know, instead of being defensive, it might behoove our elected officials to say, here's what we're already doing and here's what we're planning on doing going forward. Yeah. Yeah. But I know that's hard. And I think Governor Cox did not set him up himself up for success with this tweet because he opened by being like, unfortunately, a lot of people have gotten their news from the New York Times, which is right. A reputable (laughs) news organization. Right. And to be clear, like get news from the New York Times if you want. I mean, here I am defending the New York Times. Wow. Look, look at where we are. What a day. What (laughs) What a a day. day. You know what? Let's move on. (laughs) Let's. The The other big thing that happened this week before we get into some fun stuff, I promise, is the Parley's Pit has returned. Dun, dun, dun. It's back with, I would say, a vengeance. And I think a lot of people are really disheartened because it felt like a win that the Salt Lake County Council voted to disallow Mm -hmm. any new mining in the county. This was a very specific action taken by Salt Lake County Mayor Jenny Wilson and a bipartisan council um, vote to majority Republican, actually majority Republican, actually to stop any further movement to build a limestone quarry in Parley's Canyon, a, a very, very large one. And now it's back because the Utah legislature said, nope, we want it. Right. And I, I believe there's like some question about whether the county council actually could do this or if it was in conflict with the state law. I think there's mm-hmm. a lawsuit around that currently. There is. Mm-hmm. I did not report on that, so I don't have those details. Um, but reading about this, <laughs> it's just kind of like, wow, this is a this is a typical Utah legislature move. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to me that the guys pushing for this in the legislature, Senator Kurt Bramble, he's a Republican who represents Utah County. Right. And the Parley's pit mine. It's not going to be in Utah County. Nope. It's not going to impact Utah County. Mm-mm. So to me, you know, we should really be looking at what our local officials have to say about this. Um, in particular, the Salt Lake Tribune article mentioned Public Utilities Director Laura Briefer. She's with Salt Lake City. She mm-hmm. says she's worried about how the mine will affect the health of the watershed. Yep. And frankly, it's her job to look after the health of the watershed. So. Mm-hmm. You would think, uh, you know, that would carry perhaps more weight than a senator in Utah County. So um, the other thing is that it will be dusty, right? Like that's a huge concern for residents who are in the crosswinds of the canyon. Mm -hmm. um, And we're already dealing with our apocalyptic dust from the lake. We already know how it will impact our air quality and how it will impact our snowpack. Mm -hmm. So... 
it's essentially counterproductive for state legislators to push for this pit Mm -hmm. when at the same time they're like, oh, my God, look at what's going to happen with the dust from the Great Salt Lake. You know, like these two things do not exist together in the same in the same plane. Yeah. And this is like I mean, it's really feels like an age old tension in Utah, which is the legislature loves to preach local control. This is like one of their favorite talking points is local control. And yet every time we turn a corner on an issue, the legislature is standing there being like, actually, this is what we want. We're taking the reins here. And so we see time and time again, there are issues where the people of a city, the people of a town, the people of a county do or don't want something and the legislature gets in the way. Mm -hmm. And again, it's legislators from outside of the district, right? That have an inordinate amount of influence. And so- This tension between local governments and the legislature, like I would say if you're new in Utah, like if you moved here last week, this is the framework with which you should get ready to view a shit ton of issues in this valley. Something like the gondola, that's going to end up being a fight between local governments and the legislature and other players, but broadly. It's frustrating personally for me, like it's actually one of the most frustrating things about living in Salt Lake is the mm-hmm. feeling that my local elected's hands are often tied around issues by legislative influence. Right. There's one more thing I would say about this pit is that uh, maybe another lens for people to look at politics in this state, uh, it all comes back to economic development. Mm. So Again, in the one hand, we're saying, oh, we're concerned about the dust. We're concerned about our snowpack. But on the other hand, this pit project is going to go towards supporting economic development, towards building homes, Mm -hmm. towards maintaining our growth. And so that's really what these values of environmental stewardship or, you know, whatever it might be. That's always what it's butting up against Mm -hmm. is Who's going to make money off this project? <laughs> you right. Know? right. All right. How about some happy news? Okay. I have great news. I'm a huge fan of Santo Taco and their location in Rose Park is fantastic. Their tacos birria are like just perfect. They were briefly doing breakfast tacos and they went away and I would like them to come back. But I understand that they're very busy because they just opened a location at Holiday and they're about to open a location downtown on 4th and State Street. They're taking over the Fat Boy Phillies. You know that corner building? Thank it's God. like all windows yes. and it's like well, really and historic looking. I think there's yeah. like a statue of a lion. Um, they're moving in there. I walked by over the weekend. They were there late Saturday night doing construction and we're going to be able to get Santo Tago downtown. The Rose Park location is open until 9 p.m. If they can be open until like midnight or one downtown. I mean, again, these are hopes. These are dreams, but I'm excited. A A girl can hope. A girl can hope and dream. Some other things happening downtown food-wise that I'm excited about, and I have to give a shout-out to Josh Jones at the Downtown Alliance because he always has food scoops in his blog. So if you don't get their emails, you should. They're fantastic. Um, Ava's Bakery is expanding into the McKay Diamond store that's, like, near there, the one with the really iconic yes. neon sign, which there apparently— There used to be, like, a Barbie doll in the window, too. Yes. They're going to keep the neon sign because— you know, that's history, baby. Yeah. And they're opening a gelato shop. Love that. So Josh got a scoop on scoops. He's got, well, a he's scoop got scoop. multiple scoops, but yeah, it's a scoop scoop. Exactly. Delightful. 
And then also Maxwell's Pizza is coming back and they are going to be next to Vosin's on 2nd South. So so more pizza downtown, more More ice cream and more tacos. Basically my personal food pyramid. (laughs) I don't really know what else you need. Sometimes I think about eating vegetables and then I'm like, "Mm, I could take it or leave it. I could take it or leave it. And then I get a taco instead. Me at the grocery store Wednesday and me on a Friday evening are two completely different people. (laughs) They have completely different ideologies. Staring at a fridge full of wilted arugula. (laughs) Pass. Okay. Two more updates on the food scene downtown. One, we are getting another egg place in the Peria Hotel. It's called Eggsburg. And apparently they will have seven different kinds of eggs benedict. And Cafe Juniper on 4th South is moving into church and state. That's so exciting. I really love them. They have yeah. nice lavender lattes. That's mm-hmm. what I get. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's all taking shape. I think I'm ready for a food walking tour of all these places. Yeah. But the- it's, it's all coming together according to our plans. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, okay. We have another really exciting piece of news to share. Before we sign off here, which is what is it? Emily means today you're on the pod as a contributor, but Monday is your first day as our lead producer. Woo! <laughs> Welcome to the family. Thank you so much. <laughs> are you excited? How are you feeling? Do you have new job jitters? I am excited. I do. Well, honestly, I have like, I've loved my vacation. Um, yeah. I'm excited that once my vacation ends, uh, it, I will be coming to work with you all. So we're so excited to have you. Of course, our current lead producer, Nick Steffens, is leaving. He has got a new gig. He's going to have a ton of fun. And we're going to keep calling him a lot. Sure. <laughs> so he'll still be around. But um, Emily, we're really excited to welcome you to the team and to just make this show with you every day. It's going to be fun and then a million other things as well, but really fun. I agree. Thank you so much. Um, I have loved participating as a guest on CityCast and just listening as a resident of Salt Lake City. So excited to to be on in a more official capacity, as they say. Yes, precisely. And it is the weekend, so have a great one. And I'll see you Monday. Bright and early. Bye. Bye. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our lead producer is Nick Steffens. Our producer is Diane Magipinto. And our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Our newsletter editor is Tarina Ria, and she will be in your inbox Monday morning. Welcome to the team, Tarina. And we'll also be back Monday morning with more news from around this city. Bye. Bye.